Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. My message is entitled, The Race of Faith. Come on, the race of faith. I'm not a runner, but we're going to run with the Lord. This is what we're going to do, but let's pray over the word as you're opening to Hebrews chapter 12. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you are the light in the darkness, Lord, and we are, we are gathered to see what you are going to do, what you want to do, and your word strengthens us, and your word convicts us, and your word challenges us, and it encourages us to be the people that you have called us to be, and you paid for with your own life. And so we pray that you would lift us up to be those that bring the name of Jesus glory. So use this service for that. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you're already stirring in our hearts. And may you help us to have sensitive hearts to receive what you're doing and what you want to say. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You know, I already told you, I don't know much about running. In fact, I don't know anything about running other than I don't enjoy it that much. And when runners, avid run- now if you're a runner, I respect you. I respect you. I'm just not you. So when somebody's talking to me about running, I usually have coffee in one hand and a donut in the other with a nod going down. And uh, it's a little guilt in my heart. But I know that in this season of time, we've heard this phrase, and the phrase sort of goes like this in the last five months. We're not in a sprint, but we're in a marathon. I keep hearing that terminology. And what we're trying to say to each other is, is it, we're encouraging one another to have some endurance because we don't know how long this season is going to be. And so we want to say, hey, listen, let's press into God and let's ask him for perseverance. We're certainly going to need that. And I believe that God is giving us that and I'm thankful for it. And, and so during the season, our lives in the midst of a totally different way of life, I think that it's important for us to think of what we're walking through as a marathon and not just a sprint. But let me just say, the people of God have always been in a marathon. The people of God have always needed spiritual endurance. Nothing has changed for us. The landscape, the environment may have changed, but the fact is, as the scriptures call us to the need for endurance. And I believe this passage tonight that we're going to be studying is going to help us and really give us some handles maybe for not only the season that we're in, but just remind us that that's the kind of life that we're called to no matter what may come our way. And so our whole life is a race of faith. It's a lifelong marathon of knowing Jesus and making him known. And I believe he wants to give us Holy Spirit endurance. So you've already turned your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me go ahead and read to you just three verses. I do have some other sneaky verses I'm going to get in there. But here's what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Some other translations would say, let let us throw off every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Isn't that an interesting passage? I'm going to say that one again. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. If, when you read that, you don't think of yourself. We need to. <laughs> right? We put him on the cross. That, that's, that's the mindset there. That's what the fall has done in putting that sin nature in each one of us. We don't always read this verse thinking of ourselves, but in our humanity, we certainly are packaged into this passage. He has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He is therefore our example. Just a little bit of context, of course, for the book of, book of Hebrews. We noted that it's a powerful letter addressing Jewish believers who had embraced Christ, but were now struggling and going backwards to practice the parts of Judaism, Le- Levitical law, temple sacrifices, etc., that Jesus had fulfilled in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And this letter was written at least a few years before 70 AD. And the reason I bring that up is because in 70 AD, we know that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed at that time. And the, off, the author would at least mention that, and he doesn't. And so we know that in my estimation, I think this letter is actually really prophetic. And I'm going to mention that in just a little bit. The believers, the Jewish believers had endured quite a bit of hardship, Gentiles as well. But if you can imagine, you might remember the book of Romans if you have Pastor Steve Shell's commentary on the book of Romans. He makes mention of this, and you've probably heard it before here at Northwest Church. But in AD 40 or 49 AD, we know that the emperor of Rome kicked out all the Jews. Now, the Jews were in charge of the church. They were the leaders of the church. Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. So all of the Jews were literally kicked out of Rome, and now all of the Roman leadership of the church at Rome was now Gentiles. So all of a sudden, those who were not leaders have been elevated to leadership. The Jews had been kicked out, and it was at least five to seven years later before they could come back. Now you can understand the book of Romans because Paul writes to the Roman church, the Jews are coming back, the Gentiles have been in leadership for some time, and you can understand the message of unity became a lot more important to Jew and to Gentile because there was a lot of friction as they were seeking to integrate back together. Well, we have the writer of Hebrews is specifically writing to the Jewish people, And based on their hardships, they've lost their homes, they've lost their land. And what does that mean? They've lost their inheritance. They've lost, in some cases, they've lost their livelihood, their ability to provide for themselves because they were that kind of culture. Seed time and harvest was typical. It's very unlike what most of us do for a living. And so this is a very timely message for those that he is writing to. The writer gets down to the issue, though, many times about faith and how they need to place their full faith in what they heard of Jesus Christ and endure rather than going back to something that's familiar. Let me say that again. In crisis, in difficulty, in unforeseen events, they wanted to go back to what was familiar to them. Christ gave them a new revelation in the new covenant of who he was and following him, and it was uncomfortable. All of the persecution, the hardship moved them into an environment that they would not have foreseen and they would have struggled with deeply. And what they want, what a lot of us want, can we relate to this, is we want to go back to things that are familiar. 
unfamiliar is taken. There's something inside of us that definitely wants that. And so I just think that that's part of what they're struggling with, obviously. And when we look at chapter 12, we find some clear guidance basically on Christian living, and I think we can glean from it. And I'm going to remind you of chapter 11 here in just a moment. I just want to use three guiding principles to help us through this message, the race of faith. And the first one is the writer says, we must be mindful of those that have gone before us. We read in verse 1, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, what he's talking about, the imagery suggests an athletic contest in a great amphitheater with people watching together. And that doesn't mean that that's exactly what's happening in heaven, but it's, it's a concept, it's an idea that there are many people that have gone before you that have paid a price. Now, we know that that comes straight out of chapter 11 because the writer takes great pain to write out all of these individuals that heard God in their generation, believed God and obeyed God, and many to the point of death. They gave their lives and didn't always fully see what God had called them to be a part of in fulfillment. And so he gives them all of these various individuals, and now in chapter 12, he's saying, hey, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me remind you of what you are standing on. Let me remind you that there are people that have gone before you that have paid a price for where you're standing and for what you're involved in and for where you're going. Let me remind you that there were prophets that prophesied the new covenant for which you have heard as Christ has been risen from the dead and you are living in the fulfillment of what they only could prophesy about. Let me remind you, many of them lost their lives to speak forth what was going to happen of which you're living in. And he's talking to them about this. There's a whole list of names I could go through, but that's what he's saying, this great cloud of witnesses. Just think about how many people is what he's saying. He's reminding them of the biblical heroes. But I would also tell you that as we're sort of extrapolating a principle from this, that there are biblical heroes that we need to look at in seasons like this and glean from, but there are also modern-day heroes that have applied principles of faith as well, people that didn't compromise what God said, people that followed Jesus, people that sought to make Jesus known, that inspire our lives to be the kind of disciples and Christians that God has called us to be, not just to keep us in guilt that we're not good enough Christians and we're not doing it right. Nobody's perfect in this room, but what we're doing is we're following a perfect Savior. We're looking at Christ and we're saying, I want to be like Him, I want to look like Him, I want to follow Him, and that's what it's all about. So we see that he's saying, hey, there are these biblical heroes. We know that, but they're also modern day heroes. And I think we need to be reminded of that as well, because when you go through a season where the familiar is taken away and you're enduring hardship that you didn't foresee, and you're just dropped into a new environment, and you're trying to get your bearings and your balance and figure out how life is supposed to be, and you just want to go back to the familiar, he says, I want to remind you of the people that have had to endure so much before you. It will help you. It will help you to grasp the strength that you need to endure. This is what endurance looks like. Endurance looks like being reminded of people that have gone through things that we haven't yet gone through, right? Doesn't it help you and inspire you and remind you when you think of people that have paid such a high price for what we have? Amen? Doesn't it help you? That's what these stories are. That's what the apostle Paul would say. He would say that the scriptures were given, were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age has come. 
That we need the Bible. It's not a negotiable thing. Like we need the word of God because we see something in it that strengthens us and causes us to have the kind of endurance that will make us the runners that we need to be. A race of faith. I was thinking about Northwest Church, y'all. I was thinking about us. 42 years ago this weekend is when this church was planted. 42 years ago. You didn't know this, but we're celebrating 42 years. You know how old I am? 40. This, this church was planted, I'm turning 41 this year, but this church was planted a year and a half before I was born. Knew I was coming, <laughs> or so I think. But I think about 42 years, and it was one year ago next weekend that I was installed as the lead pastor with the privilege of following Pastor Steve Shell. And there, there was talk, I started watching the services a couple months before we came, my wife and I and family. And there was talk about a relay race. There was talk about a marathon race. And so this passage means a lot to me. There was talk about Pastor Ben or the next pastor was going to be the, the fourth pastor in this relay. And uh, Darlene, sweet gal, Darlene Cup, Darlene and Randy in our church, she actually made me a baton. She brought it to me one day. And I have it in my office. I should have brought it as a prop. You would have loved that. But she brought it to me, and she gave it to me after we were installed, and I so appreciate and respect her for that. It was just a wonderful thing I keep in my office to remember, that I'm not the person that started this church. This church isn't great because of me. This church is great because of all the people that have sacrificed their time and their money and their lives. Come on to do something great. And I'm standing on that, and I need to remember that. This week, I remembered that. Next week, I remembered that. It's not just the pastors, it's the people. It's all of us together to do something great. And we celebrate 42 years of that right now. And next week, the celebration of me coming is not about me. And I'm thoroughly convinced of that. It's about us. It's about us, that God has us going somewhere. God has us doing something. He wants us to put our hand to the plow and not look back. And this is so powerful, and I just remember, and I thank God for Pastor Steve and Mary, and I thank God for all the people in this church that have been here 20, 30 years. It's, I smile when I hear somebody say, I've been here for 25 years. I'm like, awesome, because we're living in a time where that's not the case. I told you when I came here, I'm like, we're here 20 years. I mean, I'm being optimistic, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, my commitment is a stake in the ground, and I said that because Bridget and I have no other agenda but to live in federal way and to love federal way and to be a part of this family of believers and push back the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom of God and preach the gospel of Jesus to see king and kingdom established in a greater way here on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that is the sentiment that is in the foundation of this church because of what God has been doing for years and so we have biblical heroes and we have modern day heroes and all of us can be a biblical hero in extension as it were because we obey what scriptures say. It's the beauty of us being the body of Christ that we read in this book something that we're all connected to. My mentor, the first mentor that I ever had, discipler, he said, Believing in the Bible, having faith in Scripture is not just believing that it did happen. It's believing that it still happens because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I've been thinking about inheritance. You know, inheritance is more than just physical things and financial investment. 
When I came here, the Lord really deeply ministered to my heart about spiritual inheritance. If you think about it, somebody, a, 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 a people for years have poured their life into the, to the ground of this place and everything that God has done here. Now, here just represents what he's done as an extension from here, but I, I was, in a sense, given that. Like, I was given this stewardship, and I remember just meditating on that. Like, oh my gosh, like, what do you, what do you even think at 39 years old when you're just like, here you go. We're praying for you. <laughs> I hope but sometimes when we think about inheritance, we think about financial investment. We think about that type of legacy. But I would tell you that we all have received a spiritual investment or a spiritual inheritance. And what we do with that spiritual inheritance is the choice that we make. But each one of us, when we read the scripture, what we're reading about is the inheritance that's been given to us through Christ. That from the prophets to the apostles... And to the modern day heroes that have obeyed God, you and I receive a spiritual inheritance and we get to choose what we do with that. Now here's what the Lord told me when I first came here, was that you're not in charge, but you are responsible. You're here to steward something with this people and this family to continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here together to do. And that we are in a race of faith and we're going to get knocked and we're going to have turmoil and trial and trouble and difficult those things are going to come in fact i bet you it's going to get a lot worse at times i want to point something out to you that this author uses the arena the amphitheater as an image in which previous generations witness the present faith of the community as if they were like fans in the crowd but not long after hebrews was written listen to this christians did in fact bear witness as martyrs the word witness here a great cloud of witness, that word is the root word that we use for martyrs or martyrdom. Think about how prophetic this is. It wasn't that much longer where Christians were put into these amphitheaters and they were used and abused with wild animals and beasts. They were witnesses in the harshest of ways. And the writer of Hebrews is giving this imagery of a race and endurance that it was going to require, and he uses the amphitheater imagery, and yet that was going to be the very thing where some of them in the future would give their lives. I don't know if that's prophetic or not, but I thought to myself, it might be. And just a few years later, the temple in Jerusalem was torn down, stone by stone, brick by brick, and he's helping the Jewish people to prepare themselves. Don't go back to temple sacrifices. This thing is all over. There is the Hebrews chapter 10, the once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So it's not by the blood of bulls and goats that your sin will be cleansed and your conscience will be clean. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's preparing them for something that was about to happen. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we're living in a time where God is preparing us. I wonder if we're living in a moment and sometimes we miss the moment. Don't you, don't you know that? Like we miss the moment because we don't realize that we're a part of something that's huge. We are a part of the 
big P plan of God, and it's massive, and God is doing something incredible. God is doing something far beyond what we can comprehend, and we have a piece, we have a part to play in God's plan, and we just get so wrapped up. Don't you get wrapped up with the mortgage and the job and the family and the perfect thing and the moralistic stuff and the this and I don't like that, and we we get wrapped up, and yet God is crying out through his son Jesus Christ that all men and women would be made right with our heavenly father. And Christians carry the message in the ministry and the message of Jesus to let all people know that they can have a legitimate chance and opportunity to come back into their created purpose for which Jesus spilt his own blood. That's who we are. That's the race of faith that we're in. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to prepare your hearts. We're going to endure some stuff to make sure that we stay on that race. That we stay running well. I know it wrecks our life when we go through so much stuff. And you're probably tired of hearing it. Another message where we're going to talk about the, you know. No, I'm just, I'm stirred. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. You understand that the, the strength of scripture that we draw from as the people of God, we so need this, that we're in something that, that, that requires endurance. It requires endurance. Requires it. Why? Because this is light and momentary affliction. People all over the world, we have friends right now that 16 years they've spent in Turkey and they're just getting booted out. Because the president of Turkey is who he is. I won't get into that, but it's, there's a lot of things going on around the world. We are connected to. And we see that we all need endurance, different kinds, of course. And the second thing I want to tell you is that to stay on this race of faith, we must be diligent to deal with hindrances. The writer of Hebrews continues by saying, if you're going to run the race of faith, you've got to be diligent. You've got to be diligent. You've got hindrances that will trip you up. This is what happens to all of us. And the first thing he says is lay aside every encumbrance. Another translation says throw off every weight. It's kind of like that shot put person, throw it off. There are weights that we have. There are sins also, but there are weights. There are things that hold us down. I think the context would suggest that legalism developed from the Levitical law that they're going back to, that Jesus has satisfied and fulfilled in his death and resurrection. But I think that it also means a lot to us today. The metaphor of a race and a runner, the athlete needs to strip away every piece of unnecessary clothing to compete properly in the race that they're in. The idea is that you cannot run the race that God has called you to if you're weighted down. You can't. You're not capable of it. You won't win if you're weighted down by things that will distract you and distort you. You you just can't. And I would say in our world, it's certainly different than, than theirs, but the Apostle Paul said something similar. Look what he said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, another running metaphor here. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a, there's a way to run. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, and that right there is the key. There's something we've got to learn in this season about self-control. Self-control. They need to do it to receive, or they, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave. There's, disciples are disciplined. 
That's why I preach reading the word every day, not because I'm trying to preach legalism. I'm trying to preach passion for God's word. We need it like the air we breathe, like the water we drink, like the food we eat. We need the word of God. And I know that. I receive from the word every, every day of my life. I, I praise God that he gave us something that doesn't change in the midst of everything that changes. There's that unchanging, constant, immutable one and his holy word. And he gave us that so that you and I could stay on the right things. Paul said that he disciplined his body, his fleshly appetites, his personal rights. He did this so that he might win. You should read for 1 Corinthians 14, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 9. We read how he talks about giving up his rights, and he talks about so that I might win people to Christ. You know, to the Greek and to the Jew. He's like, I'm willing to shave my head if I need to. I'll do whatever I got to do so that I might win some to Christ. You know what that is? That's a person that hasn't forgot his race. That's a person who knows what I'm running after, who I'm running with, where I'm going. He has not forgotten what he's doing. And you know what? If you're like me, you forget sometimes what you're doing. And you start boxing the air without aim, right? That's the point. You start boxing. Like, Why am I doing this? I'm not even fighting anything, right? Because we forgot that we're running a race. And it's what God has called us to. I, I had this vision when I was praying, and I had a picture of a marathon runner with headphones on watching a show. They're not going to win. You just can't win. I mean, it's funny. That's the only thing it is. It's, it's, it's just, it's a good laugh. But that's not a runner. That's not even a jogger. That's a, that's a disaster waiting to happen. That's what that is. Then he says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles. And another translation, that actually the original language would say the sin that clings so close to us. From this context, it would seem the author would be talking about unbelief, but I would also say that sin has the power to trip us up and deceive us from what we are supposed to be doing. It takes our focus off what we are doing and where we are going, and it places it on ourselves. The sin of lust objectifies people. The sin of pride keeps us from people. The sin of gossip demeans people. The sin of envy dismisses people. The sin of fear isolates people. These things keep us focused on ourselves. Listen to this. In Galatians 5, we read about the fruit of the flesh, which is the sinful and selfish living. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, <gasps> factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's 15 different sins mentioned here. Four have to do with sexual immorality. We preach that all the time. That, that gets a lot of airtime. And you know what? We need to preach that to the world that we're living in. Four out of the 15 are sexual immorality. But you know what eight of them are? Eight of them have to do with how we treat people. Four of them are sexual immorality. And eight of them have to do with how we treat other people. <laughs> You living in the world I'm living in? I've done a couple messages on dealing with offense. It just was not near enough. It was not near enough. And we've learned it in this season more than ever that we get triggered and we've got things. And I'm, there's legitimacy to working things out and talking things out. That's not what I'm talking about. Some offenses are legitimate and they need to be reconciled. But I'm just saying like there's just a field full of landmines in today's world. 
more than I've ever known in my whole life, more than I've ever known. And you just kind of like, some people don't care and they're just running all over the field with landmines. And the rest of us are like, I don't know if I should. Eight sins related to the flesh or the sinful nature in Galatians 5 have to do with how we treat each other. We've got to pay attention to this. That's why self-control is so important. We usually just focus on sexual sin and sexual immorality. And as important as that is, look at its double on how we treat each other. It's that whole love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? The person that's next to you, the person that's around you, the person that's in need that you notice, the person that's there. Believers were struggling with going back to the familiar, and sometimes we struggle with the same thing, wanting to go back to the familiar. I do. The flesh is often involved in that place, which makes it easy to mistreat people and serve our own interests and desires. Sin that easily entangles us, sin that traps us. There's another sin the Bible talks about multiple times, the fear of man. The Bible says in the Psalms, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap, the fear of man. The third thing I want to say to you, and I'll close with this, is we must stay focused on the person, the purposes of Jesus. We lay aside the weights of the world. We lay aside the sin that clings so close, and we do what the writer of Hebrews says. What does he say? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The runner can't look at other runners while they're running. You got to look ahead. The whole idea here is to stay focused. We stay focused on the person of Jesus the purpose of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. We stay focused on Jesus. He's the example. No other person is the example. I don't care how good their run is. Other people are the cloud of witnesses. They inspire us. They remind us. They cheer us on, so to speak, because of what they did in laboring and giving their lives sacrificially so that we could be part of all of this that we're a part of. But ultimately, we're looking at Jesus. We're focused on him. And him alone. This is so vital. This is so important. And yet it's so simple. But we can lose track, can't we? Allow ourselves to be focused on lesser things. It happens so quickly. We get out of focus. We get sidetracked. We get sidelined. And I would say to you, what we're focused on is what we're faithful to. What we're focused on is what we're faithful to. So we got to shift gears. We got to shift our focus. I was uh, just a dumb story, but when I was young, uh, we, I did a lot of horrible things, okay? But I'm just going to tell you a funny one. I was, uh, we were bike riders in the neighborhood back when you could play in neighborhoods. I don't know if that's still a thing. Got to talk to my children about that. But we were bike riders, and so we'd go here, there, and everywhere. And I would ride this one route every day. I mean, I'd do it with my eyes closed. Just every single day, I'd ride my bike, and... Uh, one day, I took my focus off of where I was going for just five, ten seconds. I'm sure you do it when you're driving. Once in a while, you ever wake up and you're like, have I been paying attention? <laughs> no, it hasn't happened to you? All right. I was driving my bike, and as I'm going, I remember like just looking to the left or right for like five, six seconds, which is forever. And the next thing I know, I hit a car crash on the hood, I flip up over my bike, land on the thing, and then, of course, my head comes down on the cement, which was an awesome day. 
But what I was thinking about is how like five seconds of not focusing on where I'm going when it's necessary can cause me weeks or a month of incredible pain. Just, just five seconds is all it takes. And we think we're good. I thought I was fine. I know this route. I know where I'm going. I think, hey, I can take my eyes off the prize, no problem. I could do this in my sleep. Five seconds is all it took for me to have a month of incredible pain. And I'm telling you, spiritually speaking, it is absolutely the same. We take our focus off of Jesus, and we may think we're good, and we may think we're focusing on him, but we've got to have the most humble hearts in a season like this and say, Lord, am I fixed? Am I focused? Am I laying hold of you? Am I? You be the judge of that, because if I say it, I might tell you that I am, but what does he say? Am I focused on his mission? Am I focused on his gospel? Am I focused on his message? Am I focused on his example? Am I focused? So Pastor Ben, what are you saying? What I'm saying is is that it was a couple weeks ago I told you that I felt like we needed to fast as a church. I can't demand anybody to fast. I can invite you into what I feel the Lord is saying. And this is what I feel the Lord is saying. And I mean, when I say that, I'm not saying that in a light way. I think that the Lord is inviting us to fast, and I'm calling it focus. Nobody wants to fast in the summer, but nobody thought we'd have a summer like this. And so I'm inviting us as a church, August 1st through the 14th, 14 days of prayer and fasting. I've already written a whole document out. It's going to be on our website called Focus. We're going to make sure that everybody has all that. How do I fast? I've got all kinds of things. And what we're trying to do is turn down the noise of the world. And and we don't have to turn up the voice of God, but when you turn down the noise, you hear the voice of God. Because he's speaking already. You never have to turn up his voice. He's already the free it's the frequency. We dial in, we focus, and guess what? We get to where we're supposed to go. And I need you and you need me. And right now we need to hear the Lord. We need to hear the Lord together. I can't go up on the mountain and come back. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is that we're a family. And I need you to hear the Lord. You don't just need me to hear the Lord. We need to hear the Lord together right now. That's what we need. And so I'm inviting you with me to come alongside. And let's fast and let's pray and let's seek the Lord August 1st through the 14th. Maybe you've never done this before. I've got it all laid out for you. I've done my job. And you can get that on our website. We'll make sure to send that out in the email and everything's there in terms of prayer points, in terms of how to fast, what you can, all that stuff is laid out, but I'm asking you to join me. I'm, I'm praying that you will because we need to. We need to seek God in this season. Every day I wake up, I'm, I get emails from people, I get questions from people, all that kind of stuff. The one thing you need to know is there isn't a day that goes by where I'm not asking God practically the same questions about the season that we're in. There's not one day that I get to take my hand off the wheel. I I feel that in in the spirit. I I don't get to take my hand off the wheel in this season. I haven't been able to. Even if I wanted to, it's like, (laughs) focus. We've got to stay focused on the person and the purposes of Jesus. Today is prayer weekend, and here's what I want to do. I want to close with this. We, We worshiped into the presence. I want to pray into the presence. So if you're able to stand, uh, if you're not, or if you're... um, physically not able or you, you're not feeling like that would be a good thing for you, please stay seated. But if you're able to stand, will you stand and pray with me? We're going to pray over unity and wisdom. Unity comes from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. 
What that says to me is there's things that we'll have to do over a long period of time, efforts that we'll have to put forward to preserve what God has produced by His Spirit. We need unity in this season, so pray with me for unity right now and pray with me for wisdom. Father, we thank you that you're the one that brings unity in our lives. We thank you for Psalm 133 that says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? It's precious. It's something that you produce. It's something that the world right now doesn't have. But Lord, we pray that it would be in your house. We pray that it would be in your people. And God, I repent and I ask if there's anything that I'm doing or I've done that is not producing or preserving the unity that you want to bring. God, we pray that you would just cleanse us, that you would purify us and bring the unity that brings the results that you want to bring. The sweeping revival that you want to bring. The type of prayer that you want in your church, God. I want what you want. That's what I want. And I just pray that as a church, you would give us your wisdom as we set ourselves to fast, as we set ourselves to seek you together. We're calling this focus. We want to focus on you. We pray that you would give us your heart. Dial us into what you're saying right now. I pray that we all would hear your voice. Not just one or a gifted one, but you, that we would all hear, sons and daughters would hear the voice of God. And that more than ever before, that you would unite us and bring us together of one accord. In our diversity, may you breed unity. And it would be so powerful, Lord, none of us could make that happen. We ask that you would make that happen. We unite around your word. We unite around your spirit We unite around your working, your message, your gospel. But we pray, God, that we would unite, that you and your word would be the greatest thing before all of us. I ask for that in Jesus' name. As we're praying tonight, you go ahead and keep praying. If you can hear me, Would you just lift up pastors and leaders? And I know that seems a little selfish for me to ask, but I'm telling you it's not pretty right now. Our four-square district in the Northwest, we have 240 churches, and uh, normally we have six transitions. We're in the middle of 21 senior pastor transitions. 21, normally six. And uh, I talked to many, and the mental health is not okay. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. You can pray for me, but it's because you're so amazing. (laughs) Would you pray for pastors, leaders? There's a lot of people just giving up right now and saying it's not worth it. They can't lead through a political season. They can't be politicians. They can't be health advisors, medical professionals. They just can't be all that, and they feel the pressure. So, Father, we thank you right now for all the leaders and the pastors, God, and those that are not just head pastors, but pastors and leaders in all kinds of ministries, I just pray, God, where we feel like giving up and the enemy has a plan to strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. We just say no to the plans of the enemy. And God, we pray that you would raise up the people in this season. If there's supposed to be transition, would you put the right people in the right place, the right men and the right women, the right age and stage, Lord, the the generations. We ask, Lord, that you would just appoint the right people. We pray that you would strengthen 
and fortify hearts in your grace. We pray, God, that as we unify, that you would do something fresh in the hearts of those that are serving through preaching and teaching and prophesying and praying, and we ask that you would raise them up. We pray for fresh anointing over them right now. We pray that you would break the plans and the power of the enemy over their life to come and tempt them and distract them. We thank you, God, for new anointing over them in this season when they're not supposed to have it and depression is supposed to overtake them. We pray that your grace would come, that your power would come, that you would move powerfully and you would bring revival in your church. Revive us, oh God. Do your work, your mighty work, Lord. We submit and yield to your authority, and we pray, God, that those that are struggling right now, would you send aid to them? Would you minister to them? Would you bring encouragement to them, Lord? Every church all over this city that's preaching the gospel that believes in the word of God, bring them fresh encouragement. Rivers of encouragement would be released through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those that have given their lives. And we ourselves, we almost saw our former pastor. We almost saw him get taken, but Lord, you spared him and you raised him up. And we speak over the physical bodies, just like we saw the testimony of the Lord over the Shell family. We pray that would be multiplied over men and women that are struggling physically right now, maybe through stress, maybe through difficulty and depression. We say no to that. Lord, would you release physical strength in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Raise up your people, and I pray, God, also for your church, for your house. Come, Holy Spirit, for every person in every household right now, that your grace would be released to us. Those that are watching online, those that are in this service, grace to you for our marriages, for our relationships with our kids, for the places that we work, the places that we go, the friendships that we have, the neighbors that are next to us. God, fresh grace, Lord, to see them through your eyes, Lord, that you administer to our hearts, that where we're not getting what we need from other people, that we would get it from you. That's a word for somebody tonight. You're not getting what you need from someone. You're not getting what you need from your spouse. You're not getting what you need, the affirmation that you need from the person that's over you. God's going to give that to you. Look up to him. Focus on Jesus. God will give you what you need. That's for you tonight. Thank you, Lord. And I just believe, too, I'm going to prophesy this, and then I'll drop the mic, okay? Or take it out of my ear. <laughs> I, I just believe the Lord is going to purify some that are listening to me. I'm not guilting or shaming anybody, but there's secret stuff going on that you're struggling with, you're dealing with. And I'm telling you, God is going to help you and purify your heart from the cycle of sin that you're dealing with, whether it's sexual sin or you're being plagued with a criticism or something like that that's happening. You just feel like you're tainted. You just feel like you can't get free. You can't unlock and tonight, we prophesy over you. If you're listening to me online or if you're in here, we don't shame you at all. May God himself break the shackles that you feel like you have not been able to break. Let the grace of God be multiplied towards you. That it's his reviving work. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. We prophesy that those shackles would be broken in the name of Jesus. We take authority over the lies of the enemy we ask that you would release power where there's temptation to overcome. 
and the faith would be released to have real freedom and that we would walk through the pain of the past to see that the unfolding future is truly in your hands. Come, Holy Spirit, break us free, set us free to run the race of faith, to go after what you've put in our hearts for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen and all that and then some, right? Amen. That's it. That's all right. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.